Katie Boyle. Hello, how are you? Good. Give me a name. Oh, sorry, Michael Collins. <laughs> Welcome to Give Me a Name, where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. This episode is about the Irish revolutionary Michael Collins, not the famous astronaut. Those are two totally different people. If they aren't, I really messed up the research for this one. All right, Michael Collins, born October 16th, 1890, in Woodfield, Sam's Cross, near Clonakilty, Country Cook. Uh, Clonakilty, Cork. Clonakilty, Cork. Yeah, County Cork. You never heard of County Cork? Oh, I said Cook, didn't I? Yeah. Cork, I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. So it's in Southern Ireland, right? Yes. <laughs> and what area of Ireland did you grow up in? Anywhere um, near? or? No, uh, I grew up near like... Well, beside Dublin, so it's more in the east. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of his story does take place in Dublin. He was the youngest of eight kids. His father was in his early 70s when he had him. So that's actually kind of a little bit significant in the story, largely because the father would have experienced the potato famine firsthand. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So in that sense... The father was already a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, was active in trying to have Irish independence, and would have seen sort of firsthand the destruction that the British could cause earlier on in Irish history. And the famine is interesting because um, Americans will just be like, oh, what, you you know, the potato got a blight, so y'all just decided to die. And it's like, no, there's records showing the amount of food that was exported to Britain during that time so it was just the only food that Irish people were allowed to eat was the potatoes so when it got a blight it was like really convenient for them to let Irish people die because it was easier to have control of them if there was less of them so the population was 9 million at the time and we've never replenished that we're still at like 4.5 it's unbelievable also caused mass immigration to America at the time uh, three quarters of the population either died or emigrated and then so the British were able to enforce like you're not allowed to speak the language. They're, they're able to control a lot more after the famine. So. so that would be one reason, among many others, but one sort of very extreme reason why someone like Michael Collins' father and then later Michael Collins would be passionate about Irish independence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Collins grows up in this area. He is eventually a, a kind of passionate early on about Irish independence, not only because of his parents, but also a lot of his teachers growing up. That's sort of just the environment that he grows up in. At 15, he moves to London to become a boy clerk in the post office savings bank, which was a common path for a lot of young Irish people in this area. Yeah. He becomes a messenger at London firm of stockbrokers. He briefly attends law school at King's College, but doesn't finish. And when he's a late teenager, he's introduced to the Irish Republican Brotherhood, to the IRB, which was one of these fraternal organizations that started in the mid-1800s to try to gain Irish independence. Yeah. So there's not much of a story in terms of like he was one way and then he turned to Irish in, no, to, like, was... to be an independent. He was sort of groomed that way and then was that way for his whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's uh, funny because even when you read up about that, they'll be like, like the Gaelic Association and stuff like that, but which is now in Ireland just like the sports and the culture. Right. But at the time was like a form of rebellion. So even when people played the sports at the time, they weren't allowed. So they were playing like Gaelic games in secret or speaking the language in secret. And he was a huge athlete. Yeah. I mean, not professional, but he he was, well, first of all, his nickname is just the big fellow, um, <laughs> which is like sort of, he wasn't huge. He was like 5'10", 5'11", yeah. but he was very athletic. I think that was probably tall for Irish people at the time, though. 
Oh, that would be on the taller side? I think so. I don't know what the average height then is, but I think that was yeah, right. tall at the time. At the time, it's just like a giant. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, everyone's running so. around at 5'3". I remember hearing something about that before, that the average height was a lot shorter and smaller of the Irish man that back then. So, Fair enough. Yeah. I think that's true in general. There yeah. are certain people in history that are you're like low-key or some of the shortest people. I think like mm-hmm. James Madison in American history was like 5'4". There is a bit of a, we'll talk about kind of Collins's history, but... He is, would you say, like a George Washington figure in in Ireland? I, obviously, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I guess so. So George, I'm so dumb. George Washington is your guy who did the Constitution, the first president guy. Uh, no, or first Abraham. president guy for sure. He was at the Constitutional Convention. Yeah. He was one of the, I think one reason why he would be compared to Collins is that he also was the main general in the Revolutionary War. Okay, cool. While someone like Collins, it's a different kind of war, but could also be considered yeah. one of the main military leaders. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. He was the main guy. <laughs> and would he be someone that, let, let's say you, for example, would consider a hero i mean is that they growing up yeah absolutely yeah he was the big guy in history class that you would learn about and yeah he would be considered as a irish hero for sure i know that that there was bad form against him i guess but you know in hindsight i think he did the right thing and everybody that in like when you're studying about it in school thinks he did as well Right. So Yeah, and that is the product of... So the events that we're going to talk about happened basically 100 years ago. Yeah. So some of that legacy happened kind of quickly, but a lot of it is just things that unfold over decades and yeah. kind of that how that image evolves over time. Yeah. In 1916, there is something called the Easter Rising from April 24th to April 29th. Basically, a group of Irish nationalists sees important buildings important uh, government buildings in Dublin, and they proclaim independence. They proclaim the yeah. Irish Republic. Yeah, yeah, they took over the GPO. And uh, the way that I know it at the time, uh, Ireland was pretty okay with just slowly getting their independence. Or they were also kind of like okay with... they had, The public opinion wasn't for a rebellion because right. they just didn't want any trouble. And after this rising, the public opinion shifted. And a lot of that is because the British reaction was so harsh. They basically, so harsh. they basically killed all of the leaders of the. And some of them were only kids, sixteen, seventeen. They like court-martialed them, stood them out in the street. One guy, his leg, he had been shot in the leg, so he couldn't even stand up, and they just tied him to a chair and shot him. So they did like a court-martial thing, because um, I guess at the time as well they were also in World War One. So then the whole of Ireland, who were kind of just like, oh, we don't want any trouble, were like, oh, actually, fuck this. So it changed the whole opinion. And then they were like, yeah, let's fight for our freedom. Right. And during this time, again, you're talking about people being young. Michael Collins would only be 26 during these events. He's not very high up within sort of the Irish independence movement at this point. He's really working as a like financial advisor to a guy named Count Plunkett who was the father of one of the main leaders of the Easter Rising, Joseph Plunkett, who was one of the guys that gets executed after the events happen. But Collins sort of quickly moves up the ranks, largely because after the Easter Rising, so many of the leaders are dead now. So there's just like a huge vacuum. After the Easter Rising, he works his way up, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, up the political party that was started by Arthur Griffith in 1905, Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin? Sinn Féin. Okay, I'm way off. No, no, it's fine. Most of the things that I read were, I was reading it, so, and then one thing that I listened to that was more of like a podcast, there were three people talking and all of them pronounced 
Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin. They yeah. all pronounce it differently. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's Sinn Féin. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a political party and, to this day. Right. So they're the party that really is sort of more passionate, I suppose, about gaining independence or more, as you said, a lot they of people... They want a full Ireland. Yes. And before the Easter Rising, there are sort of these bids for home rule ever since really the yeah. early 1800s when Ireland and England are officially united. But yeah. the history of the English in Ireland is a thousand years old. Yeah. Like what they have up in Northern Ireland now, that's what they were kind of going for in Ireland. And I think at the time they were like happy if they had gotten that. But then with, with all of this happening and with them sending in the Black and Tans, who were an ex-militant group that a lot of them were, weren't, they'd been sent home from World War One, I, I believe. So they were like pretty mental. Right. And they like just raped and murdered anybody that they saw fit. So there was like a lot going on in Ireland at the time. Right. And a real reason to have more, I was going to say, ex- not extreme demands, have, have more, uh, yeah, more full independence. Yeah as sort of the well, British England rule. just showed that they didn't really well they never really cared they still show nowadays that they don't care because what's going on in the north right now they by putting it under court martial and then just killing people kill, executing them without giving them a fair trial and obviously then letting the black and tans just kind of roam crazily so yeah there is a lot so Sinn Féin Fain, sorry. They are able to really gain power in 1918. So in the elections in 1918, two years after the Easter Rising, they emerge as the dominant political party. And in 1919, they again sort of declare independence, just as they did during the Easter Rising. And this would be sort of the official beginning of the Irish War of Independence. Yeah, Collins is a big... He was... um... Uh, big for guerrilla war tactics. Yes. So that was his big thing. And he was a great, like, I don't know how to say the word strategist or something like that. Strategic, for yeah, sure. So yeah. they did a lot of that, like, attacking British uh, British soldiers or black and tans or people they believed to be spies. So then there was the, they killed a bunch of spies. They, like, planned a whole thing where they went in and, like, ambushed people they believed to be spies. So I think there was, like, 15 British associates killed. And then in response to that, that's what happened on Bloody Sunday. So then the Black and Tans went into a Gaelic football game and uh, shot at the crowd and just like killed a bunch of people. I think they also killed like 14 people and wounded like hundreds of people. Yeah. So Collins led, I guess, what was called the squad or the 12 apostles. Yeah. And their job was to do exactly what you said, which was kind of go after British G-men, British military uh, personnel, particularly sort of spies. Yeah. And... Most accounts of Collins, obviously, he believed in violence as a means to gaining independence. But most of the accounts say that for both moral reasons and practical reasons, he did try to, first of all, limit the civilian casualties. Yeah. But also, like, really do, like, very pinpointed attacks on just the people involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In And exactly what you said. So in 1920, they kill several British Secret Service agents in a series of these sort of coordinated raids. And November 21st, 1920, Bloody Sunday. Yeah. Which... Again, happened at a soccer stadium a lot. The sports is really like a background for a lot of the stuff that goes on. Yeah, well, I guess it's just a good way to get a bunch of people who are not expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on a side note, he also had like a girlfriend from Granard in County Lamford. And so my grandparents, my brothers and sisters and my dad and all live there now. But there is a hotel where she used to live and it has their letters 
copied and put like as wallpaper it's not the real letters but he had wrote her a lot of letters before he passed away would this be kitty kiernan yeah kitty kiernan kitty kiernan yeah (laughs) who julia roberts plays in the movie yeah yeah, yeah. right so there's a mid-90s movie called michael collins about the life of michael collins starring liam neeson and julia roberts who i think a lot of people were very pissed off that she got cat that you know yeah. an american putting on it irish broke yeah. was was cast to do it i'm sure that was just though to get some americans watching or something i don't know yeah yeah it's know. true because most of the main actors in that movie it was like alan rickman is in it he's so typical actually that now that i think about it that they would the only the actor the actor that they would not have as an irish woman is an american woman when after we got our freedom, a lot of oppression that replaced oppression turned on women. Mm, okay. So uh, it's just interesting that the one person they would cast who's not like they could have gotten a guy to do a shitty Irish accent and had an Irish woman play. But yeah, I think that they were more. Yeah, you're right. I think the men were mainly Irish actors. Liam Neeson, obviously. Was Alan Rickman? Is he Irish? Or is he uh, I don't know if he's English or Irish. Yeah, but anyway, they're actors. It's Stephen fine. Ray is definitely Irish. Yeah. In any case. So it's a good movie, though. <laughs> it is a good movie. I do enjoy it. Historically incorrect, I believe, according to my uncle, who is a history teacher. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, but I But I, I can't remember why. What so. does he teach? Does he teach Irish history? Well, he's now a principal, but he used to teach just history. In, so history in general is mainly mm. Irish history in Ireland. But yeah, just his, like, when you know, the way you have uh, in high school, people teach English, maths, French. He teach taught history. And how many years of, like, Irish history would you have? Is it similar to... I mean, it's... The, throughout the whole time so well that's like high school so he'd be teaching five different years right. of so like from 13 to 18 but it's kind of throughout the whole thing like you are always learning about it yeah right yeah. of course that makes sense yeah <laughs> there's a lot of history yeah absolutely one little factoid that i enjoyed is that in the late 1800s when the irish are sort of beginning to as you said gain independence, but much more in the sense of how Canada had independence or kind of a dominion as opposed to a really independent country. One of the methods that they used against British landlords in one particular case in the 1880s was they... Boycott. uh, They boycott. Yeah, 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 I love that. That, I love that It was so quick to... So for the listeners, the landlord's name, his last name was Boycott, and he kept upping the rent. And so they were all kind of like, shit, we can't afford this. And then someone suggested a whole town just actively ignored him. And he would come up and talk to him, and they would just pretend he didn't exist. And so then it was like a year later, it became in the dictionary as Boycott. Because he tried to, he paid British soldiers to come over to try and get people to pay, but they still wouldn't. So it was costing him more, Mm. trying to pay these soldiers than just have him them pay this lower rent so eventually he just agreed to the lower rent right well that was one of the <laughs> yeah one of the facts when i came across the research where i was like there's probably not going to be a smooth way to insert this but i'm going to insert yeah, it anyway so just because cool. i didn't know the derivation of the word boycott yeah so the war of independence is going on it lasts from 1919 to 1921 and it's essentially fought for the independence movement by the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, and not to be confused with the IRA during the Troubles. The Irish Republican Army has been like a term used by many different groups. Yeah, absolutely. And then the most well-known, I guess, today would be the, the Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the summer of 1919, Collins becomes president of the IRB, in September 1919, he's made director of intelligence for the IRA, and he's sort of organizing volunteers into a effective military force. And just for like larger context in world history, 
this wouldn't be sort of the first guerrilla war, but like the Boer War at the beginning of the 1900s would also be a war that was not fought in, I guess, what we would call a traditional sort of army versus army way. But what's significant about the war from just sort of like a historical context is also that it's the first guerrilla war that's like really in cities or largely in cities. And Collins is one of the masterminds of how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yeah, it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can get up to the war rages on for a couple of years and there's pressure mounting on the British Prime Minister, David Lloyd George, who was also the Prime Minister during the Treaty of Versailles after World War I. And the pressure is being mounted on him to reach some sort of truce or sign some sort of treaty, partly by Irish Americans, who are saying that they're fed up with what's going on. But also lots of people within England, the British Labour Party, the London Times, the newspaper, the House of Lords, and even Pope Pius the 11th is like everyone surrounding them is kind of weighing in and saying well, this is too much. Yeah. In July 1921, Lloyd George's government offers a truce. And later on, Collins would tell someone after signing the when that, he signs the official that treaty signed his life away. That he signed his life away. Yeah. yeah. Because he couldn't so it's kind of it's a tough situation because so for the listeners Ireland was when it was originally occupied in the 1600s they took mainly over Ulster. So a lot of the landlords, and obviously then they they came everywhere else, but a lot of the people who, majority who live in the Northern Ireland are of English heritage um, and are presidents. And then there's a smaller amount of people who are Catholics and are of traditionally Southern Irish heritage, let's say, or the original. Uh, So there was a lot of people there who would be like that they're nearly Irish English, if that makes sense, or Mm -hmm. Northern Irish. There was no way England was going to let them go because what would happen to them and there was a lot of stuff going on and then there Michael Collins was like oh, he agreed they were only going to give him the 26 counties not out of 32 so that they could keep the north and so he agreed thinking we'll fight for a later day but we need to take this now but he said he knew he was signing his life away because he knew that the people in the south would be so pissed off about it and there's also a little bit of political maneuvering the leader for the Irish at the time was a guy named Eamon de Valera. Eamon de Valera, yeah. Eamon de Valera, who is also one of the most significant figures in Irish history. Yeah. Partly because he lives until the 1970s, so he's a big part of... Not a big fan of his. Right. And there's a lot of sort of theories on exactly what happened, but he, he originally went to meet with David Lloyd George, and then he comes back, and when it comes to doing the official treaty, the negotiations for the official treaty, he sends Michael Collins and other people, and he doesn't go. Yeah. Yeah, he's mad sly bastard, I think. He seems really sly. Yeah. He seems like a real political maneuver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... He also, like, involves the... When we did get our government involved, the the Irish Catholic... Well, the Catholic Church. So that's where... How a lot of oppression started on women. And a lot of women fought in this rebellion. A lot of women fought for freedom. So then they became oppressed and this is just a side note but all of a sudden then if they got married they weren't allowed work anymore and the catholic church said oh if they have babies they need to be away for three days from them because they're dirty if you're a woman married unwed they killed like 800 babies they molested multiple children and so just involving the catholic church like really the country still was oppressed in a different way yeah so So this would be the early part of 
post-treaty you're saying this is after this is after michael Connell. whenever they had started their government right eamon de Valera, i believe is the one who invited the catholic church into ireland got it it became like a church state so essentially de Valera stays in ireland while the treaty is being made the reason why this might have been the machiavellian political move is that de Valera probably knew that whatever treaty they were going to come back with would not be satisfactory to a lot of of people. And part of that is because of the Northern Ireland issue, that Northern Ireland would not be part of this new Irish free state. Also, the members of government for the Irish free state still had to pledge an oath to the English king, which a lot of people were like, I'm not doing that. And the Irish uh, civil war that breaks out right after the War of Independence is really between people that are for this treaty and people that are not for this treaty. Yeah. And de Valera would be the leader of the anti-treaty group, and Collins would be one of the leaders of the pro-treaty group. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was... So first of all, what I find significant is that Collins was willing to compromise. That this is a guy who, like, probably lost many, many people during the War of Independence, in addition to being willing to kill for the War of Independence, and yet he was willing to sign a treaty that didn't get all of the demands that he wanted, but, as he said, was a means towards an end. Give us a couple decades, this will turn from us being Canada, or like a dominion, into being a completely free republic. Also, there was a majority of people living up the north who didn't want to be apart from England. You can't force them to be. Of course. So it was like majority rules again. He wasn't... The only problem was then that there was a lot of Catholics who were left. So there was that sort of argument where it's like, okay, well, now they're a minority. And that, of course, will Led be... Led to a lot of stuff. But, but I, yeah, I think he did the right thing. What else could he have done? Right. So, yeah. And so the Irish Civil War breaks out, treaty versus non-treaty, people. Also, Collins did his best. He basically orchestrated it so that during the upcoming elections... To make it exactly what you said, majority rule kind of thing. That if the people elected more anti-treaty people than treaty people, then he would stand against the treaty and that's it. But the treaty people narrowly won the elections and therefore he stuck with the treaty. The Civil War really kind of begins or, or initiates when in April 1922, one of the main court buildings in Dublin, the Four Courts, is occupied by a group of anti-treaty militants. And a lot of pressure is being put on Collins by the English to get rid of these militants. And Collins reluctantly does do it. And that breaks out the Battle of Dublin. So this would be June 28th, 1922. And that's really the initiation of the Civil War. And the Civil War lasts about about a year, about, about 11 months. And it is towards the beginning of the Civil War in August 1922. So only four months after it begins that Collins is killed. And one of the tragedies, but also ironies of it all, is that... It was his own tactics. It was his own tactics, and he was killed... In his county. He was killed in his county by probably the Irish. Oh, he was killed by the Irish. He was killed by a sniper. Yeah, so there's... It's definitely a De Valera orchestra. That's all I believe. So you, so what I... Again, I have no evidence. What I thought was kind of interesting is that, do you know about like the... John F. Kennedy assassination in America? Yeah, just a little bit, like barely anything. So basically, in 1963, our president, John F. Kennedy, the 35th president, was shot and killed in Dallas. Yeah, in the car, I know. I know that part. I know the bare minimum. So 
ever since then, there have been tons and tons of conspiracy theories yeah. about exactly what happened. Partly about who was this guy, Leva Harvey Oswald, who shot him. Was there another shooter? Yeah. Who was working for who? Was the mob involved? Was Russia involved? Like <laughs> all these like million theories that people like dedicate their lives to yeah. in order to figure out what happens. Movies have been made about it, uh, yeah. whatever. And it seems like Michael Collins' death in Ireland is a little bit similar in terms of people being so obsessed with exactly yeah. what happened. No, 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 absolutely. I think most people that I grew up around anyway believe it was De Valera, so. That De Valera was behind the assassination. Oh, yeah, yeah. The hero well, it is true that De Valera stayed in a farmhouse right nearby the night before, so he was right in the area. As you said, Michael Collins was killed right near his home, in, in his home county. Yeah, there was loads of things because he said, they won't kill me in my county, and they told him his, his military said, don't travel now. It's too risky. And he said, they won't kill me in my own county. They went down like a small lane and they saw people on the road so they went into a pub and they asked about them and then they went and they were ambushed but the guy he was with said to the person who was driving like drive let's like get out of here and Michael Collins said no let's fight them so there was like a couple of things that he could have not died right but then he got shot in the head so and a lot of people think that, so first of all, Collins's funeral was like immense. The tens of thousands of people went yeah. to pay their respects. There's also a Tupac theory that he, really? did, that he didn't get shot. And then it was orchestrated to make it look like he did. So then he could just go live his life. <laughs> that doesn't seem very Collins-y <laughs> no, based off everything that I've read. That's not, that's not like, I think I just heard that once somewhere, but that's definitely not true. So he could just marry Kitty Kiernan and yeah, go off. We should off. say, well, Kit she, she married a, a general, so. There's also, just to go back to the Kitty Kiernan thing and a little bit of this sort of romantic, like soap opera element yeah. of it. She had a twin sister yeah. who he was in love with, or liked first. Oh, and Kitty Kiernan was also dating Collins's good friend. Oh, from uh, the movie? Are you, is this from the movie? Or I swear, no, no, no. I, this okay. is real life <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm basing it all. <laughs> no, no, no. In, in, in real life. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Look and then there guys. was some changing or swapping going on. And he and Kitty Kiernan were engaged yeah. to be, they had, in those yeah. letters, had like promised each other to be married. And Collins, of course, dies before oh, that's, that's possible. So sad. She ended up marrying a different general, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's good. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we don't have to get into too much. First of all, Michael Collins is he dies August twenty second, nineteen twenty two. He's only thirty one years old. So sad. And following his death, what he sort of predicted would happen did happen. That the treaty would lead eventually, and not too long after, into full Irish independence, yeah. which happened in nineteen forty nine. Yeah. So there is still on the Great Britain Union flag, flag is like combined Scottish symbols with English symbols, the X in 1801 with the Acts of Union that officially joined Great Britain and Ireland to make it the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. They changed the Union Jack to have a cross, which is St. Patrick's Saltier. So essentially everything in the Union Jack is a combination of oh. a Scottish symbol and an Irish symbol and a English symbol. Oh, wow. So it all sort of forms together. They kept... Oh, if it wasn't done through oppression, it'd be quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it is a nice flag. I mean, I <laughs> although it is one of those flags that's probably hard to draw like in grade school. 
Yeah, it's also like you wouldn't, <laughs> you know. Well, in Ireland, yeah, you yeah, certainly yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's some people who are still like weird about that stuff. Not me, obviously, because it doesn't affect me. But yeah. So one question I want to ask, just sort of in general, why did you choose Michael Collins? Because you chose him pretty quickly when we were messaging. Yeah, I just, I just, just one that sticks out in my head a lot. I did feel guilty for not choosing a woman. There's some great women, there, but it, he's just one that I would have remembered from school and that my dad talked a lot about. Um, and his story is very, like, you know, he's kind of like a martyr in a way. Like he knew, he knew he was going to be risking his life. So he pretty much gave up his life for what we have now. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I was. And I also, like the love story too. The love story is great. Yeah. Although you didn't know the details of the no, I didn't swapping know there was around. A sister. I just knew that there was love letters. <laughs> and love, good love letter. He's also just a um, interesting and important figure in how in all of the stuff that happened with Ireland and Ireland is the way it is now because of a lot of those things. So it's just always coming back to to us getting our freedom and the way we behave, the way we are as a society, that kind of rebellious nature very i think we speak we don't even like when someone speaks intelligently and i believe it's because it sounds british <laughs> so there's still a lot of that you know and it was only up until like 20 years ago in ireland if you had a or in england if you had an irish name there was a lot of bias against you and xenophobia uh, and a lot of that was also to do with the ira as well so it's like still so relevant and it's only like when i was i think seven or eight Maybe it's so funny you mentioned that. Um, my dad sent me over a video randomly of a commencement address that Pierce Brosnan gave at some random school in the United States. It was like Dickinson College or something yeah. like that. And he was talking about how, first of all, so he's Irish. And when yeah. he moved to England, they wouldn't say his name. They would just call him Irish. Yeah. And that was his uh, you know, nickname, but probably a mean you know trying to be mean kind of nickname yeah yeah there's like but that's a lot of countries countries are very xenophobic in general aren't they true um yeah. but then still going on now you know like boris johnson wasn't very helpful with northern ireland in recent times because it's not it's no use to them anymore so so it's still all of that stuff is still happening yeah and as you mentioned with so studying up about michael collins i got to read a lot i mean the history of ireland is one of the most rich histories that there is yeah in the arts especially especially if you're talking about like irish literature i mean yeah. it's like some of the greatest writers of in the english language are irish yeah poets and and joyce and yates and all that i mean all these like incredible people but you know, i guess that's oppression <laughs> yeah <laughs> As we were talking about a little bit, you know, Collins' legacy just sort of becoming more and more of a hero as time went on, De Valera actually said, it is my considered opinion that in the fullness of time, history will record the greatness of Collins and it will be recorded at my expense. Yeah, well, you know, so you don't know either. Like maybe he had nothing to do with it, but it does sound very strategic that he didn't go over there at the time. And I don't like that De Valera involved the Catholic Church in the country because it's just constant and constant repercussions because of that you know right. between everything they did and then the inherent sexism on women which is very like evident in the country and still like recently they had a tampon ad which was very helpful and it showed you how to use a tampon it was from the uk but they got it taken off the television in 2000 last year was last year 2020 it's during a pandemic 
They were more worried about women being comfortable with tampons. They said it was inappropriate. So the English. So the English had a TV show, right? Or a TV ad, where, and it's an it's an English one with English actors because they found out that a lot of women don't know how to use tampons. So they were like, we should help them because obviously the parents are very uncomfortable. Still, we're all coming out of these generations where people are just like fucking idiots and don't know. They're just like send you out into the woods with a pads <laughs> and be like, figure it out. But. <laughs> And that just, it was really another thing that showed how sexist Ireland is still. Because, you know, you'll live in it and you'll grow up in it. You won't realize until you move to a different country. And you're like, oh, that's sexist. Oh, that's not okay. Oh, that's... And this ad was a great example of it because it was 2019. We're all in a lockdown worldwide. It's the the only global pandemic we'll all hopefully live through or have lived through, no matter what age you are, because no one's alive since the fucking Spanish flu. Um, and or the world wars really I don't think so maybe there's some old people who are like if they're probably they're on the, on way the older out. side but these these people complain so much about this advert and the advert got taken off the television and I just thought like they don't even have perspective of what's going on in the world but they were so bothered about a tampon ad oh, which man. is very sexist because it was very helpful and it was a good ad and it yeah. was when it had statistics to show that women didn't know and, it, and it's, I'm sure it's majority old people who called in to get the ad taken off well if you learned it and weren't so uncomfortable with period or whatever or women's stuff then this ad wouldn't have to exist in the first place but i just thought it was a real good example or a few years ago a woman was raped in ireland and they used her tongue as an example her what I'm her sorry. her underwear so she wore a thong oh, oh, oh as like a yeah. well what did you what were you wearing they used it as evidence against her which no. is crazy no. now we've also gotten abortion rights but that took us we were part of the EU since, I think, 73. So it took us a really long time to get abortion rights. So it's still very sexist, I believe. And that's my opinion. Yeah. No. I. So I think all of that stuff with Michael Collins, and it was great that he got that. But with Damon de Valera becoming president, and then it brought in the Catholic Church. So it's just always still coming back to all of that time then. Right. It's great that Irish independence happened and as for the reasons that we talked about in terms of British rule in the 1800s and beforehand it was very necessary but problems don't go away no and it's great but it's still it's great now that we're not part of England now with Brexit so thank god but I do wonder like what would women's rights have been I do think women really in Ireland kind of got the hard stick of it. You're asking what would women's rights have been? I don't know. I just, I wish there had been a different take on it. I guess maybe not involved the Catholic Church, but because I think women's rights started to do really well in England Mm -hmm. around that time afterwards. I don't know. I must look into it, but it'd be interesting. Ireland went quite backwards, which is weird because we got our freedom, which is great, but we went, we didn't really, we went a little backwards. I am pro our freedom, but... In, for the republic i'm not pro forcing anybody i think what michael collins did was great i i would love i just think that we didn't do the right by the country i don't think right not not involving the church anyway so because that just caused so much trouble yeah so i don't know why I it became it, a, it's, it's still kind of a church state because the church runs like 90 percent of the primary schools and so. it also just it speaks to the fact that a revolution, history doesn't end at any particular point. It kind of just keeps going forward. So yeah. in a lot of ways, the events that we're talking about with Michael Collins, the beginning of the Irish Free State, and eventually the Republic in the late 40s is a beginning, not an end. Yeah, yeah. And as you're you know, articulating it, there's a whole host of problems. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, so I like Michael Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Katie Boyle, thank you so much for thank being you. on. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. 